I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Somebody's ready to go. Let's give every one of you a chance to catch up with him. Okay. Bless the Lord. Uh, Bless his holy name. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. Kairos is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. We're in the season of Lent, which is preparation for Easter and resurrection and the hope that we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. Um, I'm reminded of the scripture that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that says, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, not built by human hands. But meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. About four weeks ago, uh, Audrey and I got a text from some of our dearest friends. Um, It came to her phone. It was from Courtney, the wife, and she just simply said, my dad just died. I'm in shock. I'm numb. I don't know what to do. A couple days later, we rented a car and we drove nine hours up to Washington, Pennsylvania to be with the family in the midst of the grief and their death and to pray with them, to cry with them, to hug them, and to bear the weight of that grief. When we got to the funeral home for the viewing, um, we went inside, it was on a small street, and we walked in and we said, we're here for John Taggart's viewing, and they said, okay, you're gonna have to go to the back of the line. The line was wrapped out of the viewing room, through the lobby, down the stairs, and snaked around the basement. And we waited for two hours in line as people wanted to come and remember someone who was a pillar of their community, a pillar of their church, and a patriarch of a family who loved and gave generously to everyone who knew him. When we finally got to the family, the first ones that were receiving us was Courtney's sister and her husband. And as I'm processing and trying to figure out what do you say in moments like that, my wife has enough experience with grief to make sure I don't say anything stupid or try to be the pastor that fixes everything, but to simply embrace and share people's grief with them. And I was struck dumb because Stephanie and her husband stood in that exact spot six months earlier when they suddenly lost their son Connor who was 16 years old. I'm so sorry for your loss. As I hugged them and cried with them and tried to bear the weight of that kind of grief. They say that if you lose your parents, you're called an orphan. If you lose your spouse, you're called a widow. If you lose a child, it's so horrible, we don't have a name for it. The closest it comes in terminology is if you've lost parents and you've lost a child, you're called a complete orphan. That gets close, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I wanna be angry, I wanna rage, I wanna shout, I wanna shake my fist, I wanna ask God questions like why and how. And sometimes I think even when we're bearing that kind of grief, 
Sometimes we just want to die. We can't imagine our life without our loved one. And what I have come to respect, admire, appreciate, and covet about Scripture is it does not shy away from any of those emotions. And I don't want to shy away from them tonight. In fact, I'll probably provoke you to experience some of those because I think that's exactly what our text is going to do. That we can embrace grief and groaning. That we can look firmly in the eyes our loneliness and our loss, our suffering and our sadness, and death and disease. And we can acknowledge that there is a fragility and a finality to this life. And it's okay to grieve and to groan as we long for a day when Jesus will come back and make all things new. Because that is the Christian hope. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 5. As you're turning there, let me pray for us. Or you pray with me is a better terminology. If you would, just take a minute and ask God to speak to your heart tonight. You take a minute and pray for the person on either side of you and ask that Jesus would encounter them in an undeniable way tonight. If you'd be so kind, would you pray for me that I could accurately portray the Father's heart through the preaching of his word. So Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a heavenly home, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling, for when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, this earthly tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed instead in our heavenly dwelling. For what is mortal will be swallowed up by what is life. And all of this is from God, who fashioned us and made us for this very purpose, giving us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. I memorized that scripture in 2010. Shortly thereafter, um, my health began to fail. We went through a series of about 18 months when I was battling through 
chronic illnesses, a bone cancer scare, fatigue, depression, anxiety. There was a myriad of medications, a lot of second guessings, no doctors could help us. And finally, after 18 months, we get a diagnosis that there's a condition that I have that is incurable and degenerative. And I'm not trying to be silly or dramatic, although I've been accused of both of those things, and you would be right to accuse me of those things, but at that moment, I literally thought I was gonna die. And it was a gift. I got to a place that finally, in my prayer life and in my relationship with God, I learned how to groan. I learned how to long for my heavenly dwelling. I got to a place where I finally was not just asking for healing, I wanted the healer. A place where I was not just asking for the gifts, I wanted the giver. And a place where finally I wasn't just asking for the hand of God, I wanted to look at the face of God. And as, well, I don't know how it sounds, I got to a place where I made peace with my mortality. I decided that I was not entitled to certain comforts and benefits in this life. I decided when I looked at my life, everything that I experienced thus far was grace. And if I see tomorrow, God, I'll praise you for that grace as well. And that's not the moment where I tell you that all of a sudden, like this Zen-like peace transcended my mortal body and I lost all longing and desires and I became one with the universe and I harmonized for the first time in my life. That's Eastern mysticism, that's the goal of Eastern mysticism, but Christianity has a different story to tell. That's the moment when my longings and my desires grew more intense. My longings got longer, my groanings grew deeper, and my desires went down so deep into my soul that I wanted the power and presence of Jesus even in the midst of suffering and uncertainty. And this is what Paul is after in this text when he opens up and says, now we know, we have confidence and insurance in our faith that while we live in this earthly tent, even when it's destroyed, we have a building from God. He's going to give us resurrected bodies for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus I love what one author says about this longing that we experience in this text. All Christian longing is either an echo of Eden or a prophecy of new heaven and new earth. So let's not neglect those longings. They drive us to the intentional design of our creator and our loving father. And we can know that even when the temporary begins to tear, one day we will wear the eternal. Again, that's why Paul in verse seven is gonna say, we, we, we live by faith, not by sight. That's why he's gonna say in chapter four that therefore we do not lose heart. And that's why he's gonna reiterate in chapter one, hey, I was at a place where I was despairing of life even itself. I thought I was going to die, but we do not lose heart. The essence of Christian faith. And aren't you glad the Bible doesn't shy away from this stuff? That 
Christianity is not some fairy tale fabricated by humans who couldn't cope with the fact of their mortality and their finality. It is actually true and it allows us to lock eyes with our mortality and the finality of this life and guarantee that it will be transformed and resurrected if we follow Jesus into the truest realities of the universe and faith within his father. And if you decide tonight, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done packing that down. I'm done avoiding it. I'm done coping with a grief too great to bear through my addictions and my unhealthy coping mechanisms. Tonight, I'm going to give it a best shot through prayer, through worship. I'm going to have the grace to gloriously groan before the Lord. If that's you tonight, I just want to let you know you're going to join a great biblical chorus that you'll find harmonizing right behind you. Psalm 6, 6, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Psalm 31, 10, my life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Romans 8.23, we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship and daughtership, the redemption of our bodies. We have been granted the grace to groan because of the gospel seeds that have been sown deep down into our souls. To echo what Paul says, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by what is life. And it is God who has fashioned us for this very purpose, giving us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Well, what is to come? Glad you asked. Revelation 21, 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making any, everything new. Anybody have a holy longing for that? So just for those of you who need a resurrection reminder tonight, it's not that we don't grieve. It's not that we don't groan. We grieve and groan, but not as if we are those without hope. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose hope. And I've got news for you. If you're sitting in the middle of this, chances are you've lost heart, regardless of how strong your faith is. I've seen giants of the faith have their faith rocked in the midst of death and tragedy. And it's okay. 
invite God in on the conversation. He didn't say you would never lose heart or your faith would never be shaken. He said, we would never lose heart. And that's why we have to be in the context of gospel community consistently so that our brothers and sisters can surround us when our faith is shaken to its core, our grief is too much to bear, and we don't know if we can breathe another breath, they will sing over you, therefore we will not lose heart. Or as 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, We have a building from God. But meanwhile, we groan. I wish I had memorized that uh, scripture back in 2002. It was December, a couple days after Audrey's birthday. We were driving out to see the latest James Bond movie. We were coming back in our crappy Chevy Blazer. And... uh, I, my flip phone vibrates in my pocket. That's right, I ain't scared. <laughs> and it's my mom, and I answer it because I'm a good Christian. <laughs> and she's, Chris, what are you doing? I'm like, we just got done seeing James Bond. Um, we're driving home. She goes, would you pull over, please? And I'm like, oh, this just got serious. And in my mind, I'm thinking, mom, I'm a grown man. Okay, if grandma and grandpa have graduated from this life to the next, I'm going to be all right. Okay, it's all good. But uh, again, I'm a good Christian, so I listen to my mom. So I pull over, <clears throat> throw the blazer in park, hit the hazards. Say, all right, mom, what's up? And the emotion that she had been trying to hold back came flooding out. And in that brief second, I noticed there were voices in the background. She said, Chris, your dad just died. Threw the phone down, ripped the door open, started running, don't know where I was going. Collapsed by the time I hit the back of the blazer and the gravel of the side of the road where the hazards are flashing. My wife frantically grabs the phone and she starts shouting, what happened, how did he die? Because because of her history, that is of paramount concern for her. After she ends the phone call with her mom, she finds me wraps me up, starts crying over me, starts praying over me. And it's a strength that only, I think, women know in moments like this. And I just keep shouting, my dad's dead, my dad's dead. My dad just died. I don't know why I'm I'm shouting that. Um, It's just so incomprehensible at the moment. At some point, I don't remember how or when or how long it was, we moved from the, the back of the road, she puts me in the passenger seat and she drives and we're both crying. And I just, in between groaning and gasping, I just keep saying it over and over again. My dad's dead, my dad's dead. And I'm half in the fetal position and I, I wonder if I'm trying to do that just because 
the first stage of grief is disbelief. So maybe I'm just trying to get through that one quick so I can get to anger or something else besides disbelief. But then in the middle of it, I stop. Tears dry up and I start laughing. My wife probably thinks this is some sort of hysteria and she's still crying. She's like, what is it? I just, I just realized something. He's fine. He's home. And he's whole for the first time in his life. Oh gosh, he was broken. Oh gosh, our relationship was fractured. The best he knew how and the faith that he was handed, he, he did what he could with it. And he, he loved Jesus in his own goofy way. And then the real tears started coming. And then the convulsing came. Because I was not grieving for him anymore. I had permission to grieve for myself. To truly grieve. To truly groan. And in the years that would come, I would do a lot of grieving. And I would go through all the stages multiple times and in no certain order, because that's how I roll. <laughs> and I would need lots of help from my community, from counselors. And I would grieve what was and what was not. But eventually I graduated from that grieving and it turned into a deep longing and a holy desire inside of me to know the love of a father through Jesus Christ and his church. Still bear those wounds, but I believe that's not a weakness for me. I believe it's my greatest strength in the kingdom of God. That longing, that groaning, and that desire to experience the embrace of a heavenly father and to be about his mission and his message here on earth. So I don't know where you're at in the midst of that, but I encourage you to stop shying away from it or when it comes, be ready to dive headfirst into it. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. You just grieve and groan and you learn as you go. But now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a heavenly home not built by human hands. But meanwhile, we groan. Amen? Let's take 120 seconds to listen to what had your name on it tonight. Ask the Holy Spirit two questions. What do you want to say to me? And what do I need to do in response to it? What's the one scripture, the one song, the one phrase that you came here tonight to hear or not to hear, but you heard it anyway. And it's digging down into your soul right now. Let's take 120 seconds and you listen, you write down what you hear. <laughs> 